I would like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. And uh, actually, I want you to join me in a couple of different places this morning as we continue our study through the book of Kings. We, uh, we are almost finished with Kings, and Lord willing, we will be finished before Palm Sunday because what we've been doing is tracing the steps of all of these kings who have been total failures. And it leads us up to Palm Sunday where we're going to see that God sends a king who did what the other kings could never do. That is the Lord Jesus who set everything in order and the only righteous king and the only uh, omnipotent king who has ever and will ever reign. So we're just moving toward Palm Sunday as we continue to look at these kings. Today we're going to look at the second part of a sermon that I actually started Sunday before last. You know, last Sunday... Our sheriff, uh, uh, Steve Hyatt, spoke and did a wonderful job on men's day. But the Sunday before that, we looked at um, King Hezekiah, uh, a godly king, a king who trusted God. Today, we're going to look at the second part of that. And I need you to find uh, 2 Kings chapter 20. And when you find that, I would also like for you to find 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Kings and Chronicles. Kings chapter 20, then 2 Chronicles chapter 29. And we're going to look at Hezekiah, the king who trusted God. Of course, King Hezekiah was number 14 in the list of kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, he was without a doubt their greatest king. Uh, most of the kings, certainly all of the kings of the north were evil kings. Most of the kings in the south were evil. Hezekiah, though he was far from perfect, was considered to be a godly king, a good king who helped turn the nation back to a national revival. In fact, the Bible says that there was no one like him among all of the kings of Judah before him. So he was far from perfect, but he was indeed a man who tried to lead the nation back to know God. So if you are open there to 2 Chronicles 29, I want to show you some of the reforms that King Hezekiah implemented when he came to the throne. His father was the wicked king Ahaz, who led the country in a terrible direction away from God. So when Hezekiah comes to the throne, his goal and his desire is to lead the country back to God and to lead them in a national revival. So he institutes some very important reforms. They're recorded for us. We'll just touch on a couple of them here in 2 Chronicles 29. Notice, if you will, verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, look what he does. He opens the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and he gathered them together in the east streets. Go down to verse 16. The priest went up to the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. They brought out all of the uncleanliness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it to carry it out abroad to the brook Kidron. Verse 18. Then they went in to Hezekiah the king, and they said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord. And the altar of burnt offering, with all the vessels thereof, and the shoe bread, and with all the vessels thereof. Go down to verse 27. Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. You see, all of this had ceased under King Ahaz. And now he is reopening the temple. Those lamps that used to burn brightly had been snuffed out. Now they're lit again. The incense that had no longer been burning to God. As a symbol of prayers, that had been stopped, but now he, he initiates that over again. All of these reforms are helping to turn Judah back to, toward God. Verse 27, he commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar, 
And when the burnt offering began, look at this, the song of the Lord began with trumpets and with instruments ordained by King David of Israel. And all the congregation worshiped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all of this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of the offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. What a great revival began to take place. All of this had ceased under Ahaz, but was now reconstituted under King Hezekiah. Turn over a couple of pages to chapter 31. You continue to read about his reforms. Verse 1, now when all of this was finished, all of Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah They broke the images of peace into pieces. This is the false idols, the the gods that they had made with hands. They cut down the groves, threw down the high places, the altars out of Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession, into their own cities. Verse 4, moreover he, this is Hezekiah, commanded the priests that dwelled in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites that they may be encouraged in the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn, wine, oil, honey, and of all the increase of the field and the tithe of the things they brought abundantly. Verse 10. And Azariah, chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offering into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat. We have had, uh, there is left plenty. For the Lord has blessed his people, and that which is left is great in store. Verse 20, and thus did Hezekiah throughout all of Judah, and he wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart and prospered. I know that's a lot of background material, but it tells you about some of the reforms that King Hezekiah began to initiate when he took the throne. Now go back to 2 Kings chapter 20, and we will pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Under the leadership of King Hezekiah, when the prophets spoke, men like Uh, Isaiah, who was the primary prophet during those days to the southern kingdom, but Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, and some of the other prophets, and we will read about those when we make our way to the minor prophets, Uh, but when they spoke, Hezekiah believed the word of God. He respected God's word. He respected God's men. He instituted God's plan, and it brought about a great awakening in the uh, lives of the people of the southern kingdom. It started what historians and Old Testament theologians would say would be one of the greatest revivals in Old Testament history. You know, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Listen, revival will never come because Hollywood has a change of mind. It'll never come because the news media will have a change of mind or social influencers will have a change of mind. Revival will come when God's people get broken over the sin in their lives and they repent, and more than anything in all of this world, they desire the face of God. And God says when we do that, that he will heal our land, that he will restore our land. Every church is in need of a revival. 
Every Christian, listen, is in need of a revival. Because listen, it happens a little at a time that our spiritual senses get dull and gnarled. And a little at a time, working with unsaved people, living in a world where most people are unsaved, you see it in the media, you see it on television, and you continually get drawn away from the Lord and drawn away from the Lord and drawn away from the Lord, sometimes without even realizing it. And what we need is for God to breathe a special breath of fresh life into our lungs, of a fire of revival. The psalmist said, Lord, would you not revive us again that your people may rejoice? Now, I've been reading some about the uh, revival that had been taking place at Asbury University in Kentucky. It was said that it started just at a chapel service when the service was concluded that some of the students decided to stay and just pray. And as they stayed there on campus in the chapel and they began to pray, over time, the next day or two, other students began to join them. And then the next week, more students began to join them. And it was just a spirit of revival that seemed to be sweeping out through that campus. And uh, it was said that by the time the gathering was concluded, that some 50,000 people, listen, came to that campus at Asbury to pray and to hear the Word of God. It is said by those who keep up with uh, the stats that over 24 million views of the Asbury revival took place on TikTok. One student said this, quote, To see how not only my life has been changed, but hundreds of others of students, as well as thousands of other community members coming from all across the world. He says, we're experiencing Jesus either for the first time or in the way that we have never experienced him before. Now, I just pray that spirit would just just envelop our country. Tina and I had an opportunity to see the Jesus Revolution movie the other day, and uh, it was very, very well done, very powerful movie with a great, great message, and, uh, and uh, it is said that that Jesus Revolution in the 70s, when the, a lot of the hippies began to open their lives to Christ and, and accepted Christ and the message of the gospel, the claims of the gospel, that it was the greatest revival, or perhaps in American history. I know that God used it to reach men like Greg Laurie and Skip Heitzig and and Mike McIntosh and many others who have gone on to live for God and build great works for His kingdom. Who knows what God can do when we surrender our heart and our life to Him in a fresh way and we desire Him more than we desire anything else in life. Well, King Hezekiah... As we look through his life today, in the second part of this sermon, there are a couple of things I want to bring to your attention as we look at this godly king who trusted the Lord. The first thing I want you to note is I want you to see Hezekiah's personal battle, all right? I want you to see his personal battle because in chapter 19, he has a national crisis, but in chapter 20, he has a personal crisis. You remember in chapter 19, we looked at it two weeks ago. King Sennacherib, the Assyrian Empire, are camped on his border. They've already overtaken the northern kingdom, and now they're ready to march on Jerusalem, the capital city. And the Bible says that it is a, that it is a national crisis for King Hezekiah. He gets this letter from Sennacherib that says, either you give us unconditional surrender, or we're going to come and we're going to wipe you off the face of the planet. The planet. And King Hezekiah takes these letters, and it's a passionate scene in chapter 19. He takes these letters into the temple and he lays them out before the Lord and he just begins to pray over these letters. Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. 
I don't know how we're going to face this battle, this incredible conflict. And he just begins to pray. Greatest thing that we can do in times of trouble is to go before the Lord. And the time of our, the quietness of our own personal prayer time, we just lay it out before God. And we say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't understand what you're up to. But we just tell him about it. We tell him what's on our heart. We talk to him about it. And we allow him to speak to our heart. And in humility, that's what Hezekiah does. He just lays his hand on these letters. And he lifts his eyes to heaven. And this is what he says in chapter 19. God, you are the one true God that has made heaven and earth. Deliver us from the Assyrians so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you are God. One of the greatest prayers you find in the Old Testament. And then in verse 20 of chapter 19, the Bible says, God heard his prayer. That night, the Assyrians were driven back across the border. King Sennacherib retreated to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. That's where Jonah went, if you remember. So he retreated back to Nineveh, and he was ultimately killed there. But in the closing verses of chapter 19, you will find that about 185,000 soldiers were killed. There was a Greek historian named Herodias who said that, um, that mice were nibbling away at the bowstrings of the Assyrian soldiers. And many people believe that as a result of that, that these Assyrian soldiers were killed from what we would now call like the bubonic plague. We don't know exactly how that unfolded, but we do know that it was a great victory that was wrought because as Hezekiah was facing that national battle, the attention now turns to a personal battle. It's one thing to have a work-related struggle, but it's another thing to have a, a very personal, deep down struggle that you feel like you can't talk to anybody about. Chapter 19 is indeed a national crisis, but chapter 20 is a personal crisis. While the battle raged outwardly in chapter 19, listen, it raged inwardly in chapter 20. Let's look at it. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Look at this personal battle. Verse 1, in those days was Hezekiah sick to death. Now, we don't know what his illness was, not with great certainty. The, the Bible gives us some clues later on in this narrative, but we don't know for sure what his sickness was, but we do know that it was a was serious enough ailment that without some kind of intervention, he was going to die. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. Now, Isaiah was indeed one of the primary prophets in those days. And he came to Hezekiah with a very disturbing message. It is a message that would not be an easy message to preach. He walks into the palace that day. He looks the king in the eye and he says, Hezekiah, I want you to set all of your affairs in order. Get all of your house in order because you are going to die. Now listen, I come and see many of you when you're in the hospital. I try to do that. How would you like it if I came into your room and I said that to you? Set your affairs in order, you're going to die. No word of encouragement. No word of, of, of hope. 
Just set your affairs in order because you're going to die. That was probably a hard message to hear, but I would say also a hard message to preach. Hezekiah, set your affairs in order because you're going to die. But you know, it's actually the same message that I still preach today. It should be the same message that any preacher or any pastor would preach, that every time we have an opportunity, that we herald the message to set your house in order because one day you're going to die. One day I'm going to die. The Bible said it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And when we die, we step out into eternity, and we, we, we are face to face with the creator God of this universe, and we have to give an account for the life that we've lived. So set your affairs in order, because one of these days you're going to die. And when death comes, the only thing that will matter then is what have you done with the Lord Jesus? Have you received him into your life? as your Lord and as your Savior. As Isaiah enters the king's palace with that singular message, set your affairs in order, Hezekiah opens up his laptop and he goes to LegalZoom.com and he begins to set his affairs in order. Take inventory of your belongings, check. Make a list of your will and testament, check. Secure a power of attorney, check. Gather all your insurance papers, check. Prepare your living will, check. Choose your burial plot, check. Plan your funeral service, check. So it's one thing to deal with a national emergency when you've got an invading army on the border. But it's a whole other thing when you're dealing with a personal battle in your heart with your physical health. This was a sickness where Hezekiah, for sure it seems, is going to die. And when we have a terminal illness, it reaches us perhaps like nothing else in life can ever reach us. J. Vernon McGee was a wonderful Bible teacher. He died back in 1988. I still listen to him on the radio some. I have some of his books. And when it was discovered that he had cancer a number of years ago, he shared that on the radio. And one of his listeners and supporters wrote him a letter that said something to the effect, uh, Dr. McGee, I'm not praying for you to get well. He, she said, I'm praying for you just to go ahead and go be with the Lord because I know that's where you want to be. And in the next radio broadcast, he read her response and he said on the air, he said, ma'am, thank you. He said, but don't, uh, don't, don't pray for me to die. Pray for me to get well. He said, I want to live, and I want to live as long as I can because we only get one shot at this life. And he said, I want to live as long as I can so I can keep making a difference for God's kingdom. And that should be all of our heart. Is we, want to, we want to live as long as we can, not just for our own benefit, but to make an eternal investment and an eternal investment in the kingdom of God. You see, the Bible never tells us how we will die. But it does tell us how we are to live. And with King Hezekiah facing this this battle, this battle of a lifetime, look what he does in verse 2. He turns his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord saying, Oh, Lord, Remember now how I've walked before you and in truth and with a perfect heart and I have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So he's praying this prayer. And I can see him in his bedchamber and he turns his face to God. The Old Testament records three times that Hezekiah has 
prays or has three specific prayers. The first one was in chapter 19. We've already looked at that when he asked God to, to, to del- deliver them from the Assyrians. This is the second one. The next one is in the book of Isaiah, and I'll read that to you in a while, which is a response to, to the healing that God would bring into his life. But Hezekiah, as he faces this personal battle, what does he do? He comes to God and he prays. Now, you will find a lot of information about Hezekiah in the Old Testament, in fact, more than any other king of the southern kingdom or of the northern kingdom. And I was reading through some of this this past week, and I thought, what would be kind of a mission statement that I would, that I would think would be a mission statement for Hezekiah's life? And listen to this passage. This is in 2 Chronicles 29.10. You may want to write this down. But I think it's a great mission statement that kind of sums up the entirety of his life. This is what he said. 2 Chronicles 29.10. It is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. You know, that would be a great mission statement for all of us. It is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Listen, all of our young folk who are here today, if you want your life to matter and to really be full and to really be fulfilling, make a covenant early in your life to live for God. Make a covenant that you're going to walk with Him and let that be your mission statement or your purpose statement in life. It is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of of Israel. Now it's one thing to pray over the letters of a wicked king. But it's another thing to pray over the x-ray that is bad. Or to pray over a biopsy that came back suspicious. Or test results that are not favorable. And it can be very intimidating. It can be, it can be frightening because, again, nothing seems to affect us like our health. But when facing an impossible situation, just turn your heart to God. And when you think it's impossible, trust God because He's the one that does the impossible. Sometimes He heals. Sometimes He brings us to heaven. But whatever God decides to do, God knows what is best. And His will is always best. Listen, for Hezekiah, you know how old he was here? Roughly 39 years old. That's not an old person, is it? Uh, You know, unless you're 20, and then you think everybody in their 30s is old. When you get my age, man, I'd love to be 39 again. You know, you get 45 like me, I'd love to think uh, to be like 39 again. But he was 39 years old at this time, and he's like, I've got a lot of living to do, and I don't want to die. I want to live. I still have all of these reforms that I read to you in 2 Chronicles 29, 30, and 31. I've got all of this that I want to do for the nation, and my work is not done, and I don't want to die. I want to live as long as I can. And like a leaf in a thunderstorm, he trembles when he gets that word. You are going to die. He turns his face to the wall and he prays. And I can just kind of hear, hear, I can just kind of hear echo through that palace, him say to the Lord, God, I'm only 39. And I've got so much living to do and I don't want to die. Why me? And he wasn't the first person to ask God that kind of question. Listen, Numbers chapter 11, Moses said, Lord, why have you afflicted me? Why have I not found favor in your sight? Psalm 10, David said, why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? 
Habakkuk said, Why do you show me iniquity? And why, Lord, do you cause me to see trouble? Job said, Why, Lord, have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Even Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is not wrong to ask God why when we go through situations in which we do not understand. When my children were small, I encouraged them to come to me with their questions and the things that they didn't understand. And I, liked, I loved nothing more as a dad than to be able to give my children some insight and some help and some direction when they were going through times of confusion or times of uncertainty. God is the same way for us, and He wants us to come. He already knows our need, but He wants us to come to Him with, with our need and with our concern and with those fears and those times that we don't fully understand. And we say, God... Why? Sometimes he may, he may give us the answer. Sometimes the answer may not come till we get to heaven. Then it's not going to matter anyway. But what matters is that we just stay the course. And that when those hard times come, that we don't quit. Or that we don't throw in the towel. Or get bitter toward God. Or bitter toward the situations of life. God's plan is not always our plan. We want it to be. We desire for it to be. And it is human nature to ask why. When hard times come and to our life. So Hezekiah's personal battle, he was going to die. But secondly, look at Hezekiah's answered prayer. Look in verse 4. It came to pass, Isaiah was going out to the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of uh, David, thy father. Look at this. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. And look at this answer. Behold, I will heal you. And on the third day, you will go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days, look at this now, 15 years. And I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now stop right there for a moment. Don't think that the events of chapter 19 take place and then the events of chapter 20 are taking place. No, the events of chapter 20 are actually taking place simultaneously while the events of chapter 19 are unfolding. The Assyrians are still camped at the border when you read chapter 20. We know they've, they, they experienced deliverance. Chapter 19 tells us that. But the events of chapter 20 are woven into chapter 19. So that while he's dealing with this enemy on the outside, he's dealing with this personal struggle on the inside that he's going to die, he takes it to the Lord in prayer, and God answers his prayer and says to Isaiah, you go tell Hezekiah that I've heard his prayers, that I'm going to heal his sickness, and I'm going to add 15 more years to his life. Now, I think all of us would be in favor of having an additional 15 years promised to us. That would still make him only about 54 years old when he finally does indeed die. Still a relatively young man. But God makes this promise that he's going to give him 15 more years. Sometimes God chooses to heal us here. And sometimes he chooses to heal us permanently by taking us to heaven. And there's an old song that says, whether I go or whether I stay, I'm a winner either way. And if you know the Lord, when death comes, you're not defeated, but
but you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved you. Hezekiah, listen, when Isaiah comes back to tell Hezekiah this news, he is so overcome that he breaks out in another prayer. It is a response to the healing that is going to come. Let me show you. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38, and we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. Isaiah chapter 38, and uh, I want you to look at Hezekiah's response here. In fact, when you read chapter 38 of Isaiah, it's almost verbatim, especially the first few verses, as 2 Kings chapter 20. Remember I told you Isaiah is the primary prophet who's speaking to Hezekiah during these days? Well, this is Isaiah's account of this same story, Isaiah chapter 38. And what I want to do is I want to read this to you beginning in verse number 9. And I'm going to read it to you out of the message, Eugene Peterson's The Message. And so when I, when I, when I say I'm going to read it out of the message, I would say if, if you're looking for a way to, to help your devotional life, I would say the message would be a good way to help in a devotional life, but not for serious Bible study because it's not a translation, all right? Uh, It is just a paraphrase. It is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, but it does sometimes help us help shed some additional light um, on on some of the language that is used. So you just follow with me in your copy of God's Word. I want to read it to you from the message, all right? Isaiah 38. Look at this in verse number 9 and following. Now, this is Hezekiah's response to the healing that is going to come, to his answered prayer. Verse 9. This is what Hezekiah, king of Judah, wrote after he had been sick and recovered from his sickness. In the very prime of life I have to leave. Whatever time I have left is spent in death's waiting room. No more glimpses of God in the land of the living. No more meetings with my neighbor. No more rubbing shoulders with my friends. This body I inhabit is taken down and packed away like a camper's tent. Like a weaver, I've rolled up the carpet of my life as God cuts me free of the loom. And at day's end, sweeps up the scraps and the pieces. I cry for help until morning. Like a lion, God pummels and pounds me relentlessly, finishing me off. I squawk like a doomed hen, moan like a dove. My eyes ache from looking for help. Master, I'm in trouble. Get me out of this. But what's the use? God himself gave me the word. He's done it to me. I can't sleep. I'm that upset, that troubled. Verse 16, keep reading. Oh, Master, these are the conditions in which people live. And yes, in these very conditions, my spirit is still alive, fully recovered with a fresh infusion of life. It seems it was good for me to go through, look at this, all of these troubles. Don't you, don't you love that? It seems it was good for me to go through all of these troubles. The psalmist said, I was glad that I was afflicted because had I not been afflicted, I would have gone astray. God uses those troubles to keep us where we need to be. So he says, it seems that it was good for me to go through all these troubles. Throughout them, you have held tight to my lifeline. You have never let me tumble over the edge into nothing. But my sins you let go of, threw them over your shoulder, good riddance. The dead don't thank you. The choirs don't sing praise from the morgue. Those buried six feet under don't witness to your faithful ways. It is the living, live men, live women who thank you just as I am doing right now. 
Parents, give their children full reports on your faithful ways. God saves and will save me. As fiddles and mandolins strike up the tunes, we will sing, oh, we will sing, sing for the rest of our lives in the sanctuary of God. That is Hezekiah's response to God's answered prayer that I've heard you and I'm going to heal you. Now go back to 2 Kings chapter 20 and let's land this plane, all right? You see Hezekiah's personal battle and you see his answered prayer. But I want to show you his unselfish motive. Now there is a great deal of debate among Bible teachers about this. Some say that Hezekiah's prayer was very selfish and that he should not have prayed to be healed and should not have prayed for longer life. Others say, no, it was not selfish. It was indeed an unselfish prayer. And that is the camp in which I reside. And I do not believe it was a selfish prayer. But if you believe that, um, you can be wrong if you want to. Uh, But anyway, uh, no, no, I understand that. And I understand that the way that works. But listen, Look in verse number 16 at what happens. If you, or excuse me, verse number 6, if you will go back to 2 Kings 20. He says, I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now again, some people would say that Hezekiah should not have prayed this prayer because it was a selfish prayer that resulted in some negative consequences on down the line. I I can understand that, but I look at it in this regard. I do not believe that it was selfish because he wasn't just praying that he would get better because he wanted to live longer. You know why he was praying to be healed? So he could continue the reforms that he had started that I read to you in chapter 29, 30, and 31 of 2 Chronicles. In other words, he's like, Lord, I still got so much more work to do for you. I still want to advance your kingdom, and I want this nation to turn back to you in such a way. God, don't take my life yet. Just let me live longer so I can keep working for you. Listen, let me ask you, why should God add days to our life if we're not going to use those lives to advance his kingdom? Why should he heal us if we're going to take that healing and do nothing for him with our lives? So in my estimation, King Hezekiah was not necessarily being selfish for himself here. What he was wanting to do is let God's name be famous. He says, Lord, so that all the kingdoms of the earth would know that you are God. I read about a lady who was in church one Sunday. She heard her pastor give an illustration, and he just happened to mention that he owned a parrot Well, and and as the minister was talking about this, he said the only thing that his parrot says is, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. A lady in his congregation also had a parrot. She came up to him after church and she said, Pastor, I'm so inspired by your parrot who says, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. She said, I too have a parrot, but the only thing that my parrot will say is, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. She said, would you take my parrot home with you, and maybe your parrot can kind of rub off some good habits on my parrots, which the pastor did. And the pastor brought her parrot, and all the way home, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. He walked into the door, and there was his parrot in the cage, and he said, let's pray, let's pray. And the pastor put this parrot into the cage with his own parrot, jumped up on the the little pedestal there, and said, kiss me, kiss me. And the pastor's parrot jumped up next to her and said, my prayers have been answered. (laughs) Now listen, (laughs) now that's a selfish prayer, right? 
That's a selfish prayer. I don't see that in King Hezekiah, but I see that as what he's doing is he's praying and asking God to spare his life because he wants to continue to invest himself in the work of God and to, and to expand the kingdom and to lead the nation to a national revival. So it was, in my estimation, an unselfish motive, but look what happens very quickly. Isaiah said, uh, um, and, and, and uh, verse number seven, and Isaiah said, now look at this, take a lump of figs, they took it, laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Now again, I said to you earlier, we don't know what kind of sickness Hezekiah had. Apparently some kind of an infection that happened from some type of a boil that he had. I don't know why he was told to put figs on it other than the fact that it could be a, a, a biblical model for us that when we get sick, that we pray about it and that we seek the best medical help that we can find and how God will sometimes use doctors and how God will use medications and sometimes God will use divine intervention Then sometimes he'll just simply bring healing into our lives. But we're to do everything that we can to try to get healed. Whether it is pray, yes, certainly we're supposed to do that. But also seek the best medical help that we can possibly get because God gifts people and trains them and makes training available so they can minister to us so we might be able to live longer and do as Hezekiah invest ourselves in the work of God in this world. Verse 8. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What will be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Isaiah said, Now, by the way, God's not obligated to provide him with a sign, but God's going to. And it's really one of the most unusual signs you will find in Scripture. Very complicated, really. Isaiah said, verse 9, This sign shall the Lord... Uh, shall you have of the Lord. And the Lord will do one thing that he has spoken. Look at this. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? In other words, on the sundial. First, it's the first reference to a timepiece in the Bible, by the way. So on this sundial is the sun's shadow. To give you a sign, Hezekiah, do you want the sun's shadow to move forward 10 degrees or do you want it to back up 10 degrees? Verse 10, Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, but let the shadow turn backward 10 degrees. Now, now listen, next week is daylight savings time, if I remember correctly, right? And we're going to turn our clocks ahead, right? We, we spring forward. We turn our clocks ahead an hour. And then in the fall, we turn our clocks back an hour. This was not a reference to daylight savings times in the Scripture. On that sundial, as the sun would cast its shadow, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, in order to show you a sign that you're going to be healed, would you want God to move the shadow ahead 10 degrees or to back up 10 degrees? Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah says, well, it's an easy thing for the shadow to move ahead 10 degrees. I want to know that God's going to heal me by backing up that shadow 10 degrees on the sundial. I read a lot about that. And, and all we can do is really speculate because some people will say that, that God actually backed up the earth on its axis. Some people will say that there was an eclipse that, that just caused this to happen. But I like what, what one man said about it. He said, God does not offer an explanation as to how he did what he did. We just believe what he did. Isaiah prayed about it. God made it happen, and Hezekiah saw it happen. And basically, that's the commentary on that passage of Scripture that we can say with authority. God did it. Isaiah wrote about it. And Hezekiah witnessed it. And sure enough... God would bring healing into his life. 
But even though he was healed he, and had 15 more years, he eventually died. Go down to verse number 20 and we will close. The rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might, how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of Chronicles and Kings? You guys who were with us in Israel a few weeks ago, we went to Hezekiah's tunnels. You remember that? This is, what it's, this is a reference, verse 21. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, or he died, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. Right on schedule, when the 15 extra years had expired, Hezekiah dies and has his funeral. And he was given that rare opportunity of knowing how much longer he had to live 15 more years. We don't have that opportunity and we don't know when the day of our death will come. It could come at any moment. It could come today. It could come tomorrow. But the main thing is, is that we are ready. Listen, as we moved all, through all of these kings over the last several weeks and months, they all point to one coming king, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who fixed everything that all of these other kings made an immaculate mess of. And he came, and not just like Hezekiah and died, but he said, no man takes my life from me, but I freely lay it down, and if I lay my life down, I have the power to take it up again. And that's what he did. He came, and on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus died for me, and he died for you. And what he wants out of your life is for you to develop that mission statement as well. To say, I've made a covenant in my heart that I'm going to walk with God and ask Christ to come into your life and to be your Lord and your Savior. Paul says it this way in the book of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and how it indeed is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful Old Testament example of King Hezekiah. And Lord, we recognize that he too had his failures, though he tried his best to do what was right and to walk with you. It's just a reminder that we all have feet of clay. But God, our desire is to walk with you. So as we have this invitation, we just invite people to do the same, people to make decisions. And Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that has never made their decision for Christ, I pray that today they would come and they would adopt that mission statement like Hezekiah and make a covenant with you that they're going to live for you and that they're going to invite the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to be payment for their sin debt. So, Lord, take this invitation. Call people to yourself. There may be folk praying about church membership and want to unite with our Highland Park family. I pray they would come. Just move as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together.